Happy Saturday and welcome to the Locked Up Grizzlies podcast. My name is Sean Coleman. Hope wherever you are, wherever you are listening, it's a pleasure to be with you once again here on a special Saturday edition of the Locked on Grizzlies podcast. I always typically like to do these podcasts on Saturdays as it's fun to recap, you know, a pretty, you know, important game that the Grizzlies played on Friday night, of course, a 103-102 loss to Denver. You know, disappointing loss for sure, and we'll get into the reasons why it was disappointing. However, another very strong showing from the Grizzlies, and especially when it comes to their defense, and that's going to be a focus of today's episode. In the first segment, we'll talk Talk about the game last night against Denver. Obviously, the good effort defensively, the struggles offensively, and certainly the controversial call at the end of the game. In the second segment, we're going to talk about this defense, how amazing it's been, how the Grizzlies really are playing like one of the best defenses in the league, especially since Justice Winslow has been back over the past few weeks. And in the third segment, we'll break down the game on Sunday against the Oklahoma City Thunder. Nothing against the Thunder. It just should be a bit, a little bit easier of an opportunity for the Grizzlies to once again get back above 500. Of course, you can find the show at Locked on Grizz, myself at Stats SEC. You can find the podcast wherever fo- podcasts are available. Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podcast app on your phone. Wherever you listen to podcasts, that's where we will be. And we hope that you listen, subscribe, review. Let us know what you think of the show. DM me, myself, or... The show itself on Twitter, and we will be glad to discuss any content that you know we feel you know certainly meets the preferences of our listeners. Also, want to thank you know many who attended uh, the uh, locker room uh, edition of Locked On Grizzlies on Thursday night, and we also did a surprise pregame party myself and. Uh, fellow um, uh, GBB or Parker Fleming uh, got together with the, some folks and did a pregame for the Nuggets and Grizzlies last night. It was a lot of fun. So again, check out our shows. It's going to be every Thursday night, um, in which I'll be on the Locker Room app discussing all things Grizzlies. You know, come for some great interaction and conversation with fellow Grizzlies fans and myself. But of course, the game last night. You know, coming off. You know, the Grizzlies' victory against Washington to start off the second half of the season, the Grizzlies, you know, had to change course a little bit as they were facing a much, in my opinion, a much stronger foe in the Denver Nuggets, a team that really has come together. Obvious MVP candidate Nikola Jokic, Jamal Murray over the month of February and into March really has stepped up his game to get closer to the Jamal Murray that we saw in the bubble. And just in general, the, you know, the Denver Nuggets are you know, likely are considered a top 10 team in the NBA. However, the Grizzlies did have a bit of an advantage in that the you know, Nuggets were without a few key contributors as far as their you know depth goes in Jermichael Green and Gary Harris. And the game started out with it being a pretty close matchup. The Grizzlies really did a good job staying with the Nuggets and and, and, play, and playing their game in which they made the Nuggets adjust from what normally worked for them to try something else to find success. But the thing is, is that as good, as good of an offense as Denver is, they were able to do just that. However, in the first quarter, it was Brandon Clark who made the difference. With the Nuggets up 22-17, to 17, with about four minutes left of the quarter, Brandon Clark came in and, and fueled a 14-4 run by the Grizzlies to allow for Memphis to go up 31-26 at the end of the first due to two and ones and two threes from Brandon Clark. Just a great performance from Clark, who once again has shown that he is back to, you know, 
be it what he was last year. If he's not right at it, he's very close to it. But a really, really great burst of energy and effectiveness and production for Brandon Clark was the reason why the Grizzlies were able to pull ahead in the first quarter. Throughout the second quarter, the Grizzlies were able to maintain the lead. However, as we got towards the end of the second quarter, the best player on the court, Nikola Jokic, did what he does every single game. Six straight points to end the half for the Denver Nuggets, and that's what allowed the, the, the Nuggets to pull within two as the Grizzlies led at the half 55 to 53. Overall, obviously Brandon Clark had a great first half. 16 points himself. Nikola Jokic had 17, and Jonas Valanciunas had 10. Those were the only three players that were able to pull, you know, that were able to score in double digits at halftime of the game. Well, in the third quarter, the Grizzlies struggled. Absolutely struggled. Denver got off to a 15 to 5 start to start the third quarter. Eight minutes into the third quarter, the Gri- I believe it was either seven or eight, the Grizzlies had as many turnovers as they did points eight minutes into the quarter. However, John Morant and, and Denver went up by as much as 12. However, John Morant was able to pull the Grizzlies back in, which included a 42 Foot three, beautiful shot to end the third quarter to pull the Grizzlies within four. The Grizzlies and Nuggets went back and forth in the fourth quarter. Obviously, John Morant had a you know had stepped up his game despite struggling for the first. 30-odd minutes of the game. But Dylan Brooks was really the one who stepped up for the Grizzlies in the fourth quarter. Three threes from Dylan Brooks, as well as a late three from DeAnthony Melton, allowed the Grizzlies to go, to pull within one of the Denver Nuggets. After the, the Nuggets went up 103-99, to 99, and after Melton hit his three, Brandon Clark had a big had a big block on Nikola Jokic. Well, of course, the Grizzlies had the last shot, just like they did against Milwaukee the last game before the All-Star break. Obviously, the point was to get the ball to Morant. That's exactly what the Grizzlies did. Perfect opportunity to get to the rim. However, Nikola Jokic stepped in his way, and, and there was contact. As the Morant went up for the shot, there was contact. The referee held up his arm. We were thinking, many of us were thinking, that he was going to call a foul. A foul was called, but it wasn't on Jokic guarding the rim from Morant. It was on Dylan Brooks after Jokic got control of the ball on the rebound. And so it seemed confusing. Obviously, when you typically see a referee's hand go up, you think that a foul is going to be called, and his hand went up when Morant and Jokic made contact at the rim, but the foul was called on Dylan Brooks, preventing Jokic from getting down the court. A lot of, you know... There was a lot of confusion because typically, again, when the ref's hand goes up, you would think a foul is called. However, as the game ended and the Grizzlies were, you know, definitely frustrated with how the you know call went, it was explained that when the referee's hand goes up, that indicates that the defender went up with legal verticality. There was no foul that was committed. When his hand goes to a fist, which it did not, that means a foul is called. But at the end of the day, it was a very confusing call. Based off replays, I'll certainly say. In the theory of the rule, in respect of the rule, it did not seem like Jokic fouled John Morant. However, I and many others rightfully question that typically is not the type of play. When you see that much contact at the end of the game, though Morant may have initiated the contact and Jokic may have had good defensive position, when there's that much contact, you typically see the game stars get the call in their favor. It really brings into question, okay, yeah, you may have got the call right, 
But if this would have been a bigger star, could it could have gone a different way? It likely would have. At the end of the day, it comes back to me thinking, okay, if it was John Morant versus anyone else other than Nikola Jokic, could he have got the call? Did it come down to, obviously, how the hierarchy of where each player is in the NBA? Now, I'm not going to sit here and speculate, but that probably had a bit to do with it. There's probably other players in the league who, if they went into that situation against Jokic, they would get the foul call that Morant did not. And that was the unfortunate thing about the call, is that at some point you're hoping that with as good as John Moran has proven he can be, he's going to start getting these calls and get the respect that he deserves. Again, I agree. The call may, there may not have been a foul, but if other players who are of high value in the NBA do consistently get those calls, teams like Memphis who have up-and-coming superstars in their own right, at some point hopefully they'll start getting calls as well. So regardless of whether you thought the foul was good or the foul was bad, it certainly was frustrating. And even if the two-minute report comes out and says that there was no foul that was committed, it certainly seems like that in a lot of other cases there wouldn't have been a foul called. So an unfortunate ending to the game for the Grizzlies. But overall, Memphis struggled offensively, though Morant and Dylan Brooks really did get going as far as their production goes. Only seven, 77 points through three quarters. Neither Jonas Valanciunas or John Morant really were able to get taken over the game like they did against Washington. Kyle Anderson, only one of five from the field, five rebounds, two points, no assists. He certainly has struggled, you know, over the in the month of March. Dylan, Bur- or excuse me, Brandon Clark and DeAnthony Melton certainly were productive off the bench. The Grizzlies were able to outproduce the Nuggets bench 40 point, 40 points to 24 for the Nuggets. The Grizzlies were also able to find success from three, shooting 14 of 28. The Grizzlies actually shot very well in the evening at 46%. The problem was, was that they were uncharacteristic in their discipline. They had five more fouls than the Nuggets, and they also committed five more turnovers, and that wound up being the difference in the game. Another thing is is that the Nuggets did a really good job of limiting the Grizzlies' strength. Only 46 points in the paint for the Grizzlies. Though they did outscore the Nuggets by four points in the paint, only 46 points of the evening, and by only having an advantage of four points overall in the paint, that certainly was near a season low for the Grizzlies as they're typically scoring in the high 50s, low 60s on a normal basis, sometimes getting in the 70s like they did last Wednesday night with an advantage of at least 15 to 20 points in the paint. So the Nuggets did do a good job of limiting the Grizzlies' strengths. However, at the end of the day, the Grizzlies lost by one point to a very good team. In two of their last three games, they have had last-second chances to score against two of the top ten teams in the NBA, in my opinion, and that certainly is showing progress. And a big reason why is because of how well their defense played. Another night where the Grizzlies held their opponent to around 33% shooting from three, and the big thing was was that because of the defense of Dylan Brooks and others, the Grizzlies held Jamal Murray to 1-14 of from the field in only three points. This was the most field goals Jamal Murray had taken in his career where he scored three or less points in a game. Now, unfortunately, the Grizzlies were not able to stop Michael Porter Jr. or Will Barton from contributing 42 combined points of their own to go along with the Kola Jokic's 28 points and 15 rebounds. But the Grizzlies' defense once again showed that it can limit to the point of shutting down the elite perimeter score of the opposing team. And though the turnovers certainly weren't there like they usually are, this is that mainly because they were facing a really good defensive team, the Grizzlies are starting to show more consistency when it comes to their discipline and effectiveness, stopping the perimeter 
success of their opposition. As a matter of fact, they're quickly becoming one of the better teams in the NBA doing just that. And it's a stark difference between where they were as they were going into the month of February. Coming up, I'm going to talk about just how good this defense has been since just as Winslow has come back. And while he certainly has contributed, it's been an effort for the entire roster that has once again made them one of the better defensive teams in the NBA. Welcome back to the Locked on Grizzlies podcast. So funny thing occurred as we were recording this episode of the Locked on Grizzlies podcast. We had talked about waiting to see what the two-minute report was going to come out and say from last night's game against the Nuggets and pitting the Nuggets against the Grizzlies. And actually, it did come out and say what all of us certainly anticipated and that, yes, there was not a foul. Like, Nikolo Jokic did exactly what he was supposed to do. So there was no actual foul in terms of what was going on in the game action. However, it did say that the referee unnecessarily raised his hand. Now, Brevin Knight was really on top of it last night, talking about the fact that he has not seen before. Yes, they recognize that that is the signal for verticality, but they've never recognized before them making that call like that late in a game. And that's what confused everyone. And it does seem that the NBA has acknowledged that there certainly was a... a reason for the confusion and that the ref unnecessarily raised his hand when it came to the verticality signal. So in the end, the right call was made, the, the, the right no call was made. It's just that the ref unfortunately made an unnecessary indication, which obviously led to a bunch of confusion. But at the end of the day, still, you know, a controversial ending, an unfortunate ending that you hope in time will start to go the Grizzlies way, especially as John ja Morant's status in the NBA continues to grow. Whether or not those type of calls are wrong or not, whether or not the call is wrong or it is right, there are some players who certainly have a much more significant frequency of getting those type of calls going their way. With as good as John Morant is in the type of game that he has getting to the rim as guard, you certainly hope that he gets that type of momentum. He gets he makes that type of impact when it comes to calls in time. But the thing about it is this, is that the Grizzlies certainly had other chances to win the game last night. And though it did not end with a win, the big reason why the Grizzlies did have their chances to win was because of the fact that their defense once again showed up in a big way. You know, back a few weeks ago, right after Justice Winslow, Justice Winslow returned on um, uh, February 20th um, in a game at the FedEx Forum against the, uh, the, the uh, Phoenix Suns. As a matter of fact, it was three weeks ago uh, today that... Um, Justice Winslow returned to game action after being with the after having not played an NBA game in 409 days. Well, at that time, right after he had returned, it was Coach Jenkins' 100th game that he had coached. And I'd asked him the question, you know, Coach, when you look at this season for the team, has it surprised you just how quickly they've established the identity of being an opportunistic defense? And he said no. But the thing was, was that he didn't want to be just an opportunistic defense. He wanted to be a consistent defense. And the reason why that is is because, yes, in the first half of the season, this Grizzlies defense had established themselves as arguably being the best turnover team, as arguably being the best team in the NBA at creating advantages through turnovers. They, they, they're tied for first in the league, or coming into the second half, tied first in the league in deflections per game, led the league in steals, led the league in turnovers forced. So this Grizzlies team has certainly established the identity that they are the best in the league when it comes to forcing turnovers. However, 
Since the time that they came back from their hiatus at the end of January and starting with that game against San Antonio on January 30th, up until Justice Winslow came back um, on the 20th of February, the Grizzlies were arguably the worst team in the league at defending the three. In fact, over that three games, over that three week stretch from January 30th to February 20th, there were several days in which the Grizzlies were last in the league defending the three. So yes, while while they were causing turnovers and they were doing it at a good rate, the thing is, is that that was really the only way they were keeping their defense afloat. If the Grizzlies were not producing good turnovers, they were getting blown out because they could not stop the other team from shooting the threes. But with Justice Winslow back and Dylan Brooks back and DeAnthony Melton back, the Grizzlies finally got depth. They finally were able to get the depth that they needed to be able to fully utilize a strength of theirs, which is length and good defensive talent on the perimeter. And it's been shown many times this year, even before Justice Winslow came back, that one of the things the Grizzlies can do that not many other teams can do is that they actually can throw different types, they can throw different talented defenders at elite perimeter scores, and that makes it harder on those uh, perimeter scores to score. Because instead of an elite score like they like an elite score would do against other teams where the, even though they may face a talented defender they would only face they would face only one talented defender throughout the game and the elite score would be able to make adjustments the grizzlies make it harder on those elite scores because they're throwing different skill sets and different bodies at them so it's harder for them to the ju- to adjust and it's been successful for the grizzlies especially ever since justice winslow got back we saw it in the two games against washington in which the grizzlies held bradley beal to 2 of 12 from 3 this is the nba's leading score they held bradley beal to 2 for 12 from 3 over a two game stretch and 14 of 40 from the field last night Jamal Murray, who arguably has been playing at an all-star level now for the past month, the Grizzlies held him to 1 of 14 from the field and only three points. The other night against the Clippers, where the Grizzlies blew them out by 30 points, they held Kawhi Leonard and Paul George to 9 of 26 from the field. So, and the thing about it is, is that this isn't just some fluke. This is starting to be a consistent trend for the Grizzlies because of how well and cohesive this team is playing together when it comes to their discipline on the perimeter but also in contesting and staying in place and effectively guarding the other team's best perimeter option. And so now when Coach Taylor Jenkins had talked about, well, I really want to change from just being an opportunistic defense to being an opportunistic defense that also is consistently effective at making life tough on the opposition, the Grizzlies are finally starting to realize that. They're finally starting to accomplish that goal, and the numbers back it up. Ever since Justice Winslow came back on February 20th, the Grizzlies are third in the NBA when it comes to opponents' field goal percentage. They're allowing the third lowest opponents' field goal percentage in the NBA since February 20th. They're seventh in opponents' three-point field goal percentage. So they've changed from arguably the worst team in the league defending the three-pointer to now being a team that is top 10 in the league in defending the three-pointer ever since they've got the depth of their perimeter defense in place and healthy. They're seventh in turnover sports. So as we indicated the other day, you know, last week in the Locked on Grizzlies podcast, they have taken a bit of a step back when it comes to forcing turnovers as they've shifted their activity and focus to being more effective actually defending the opposing team's perimeter production. Eighth in opponent's points per game. First in rebounds per game. Third in steals. And second in defensive rating. Once again, that's... Third, they're allowing the third lowest field goal percentage to their opponents in the NBA. They're allowing the seventh lowest opponent's three-point field goal percentage, seventh in turnovers force, 
eighth in opponents' points per game, and first in rebounds, third in steals, and second in defensive rating. Dylan Brooks said it the other night in the game against Washington. You know, he got pissed when, you know, it was suggested that he was just a pesky defender. He said when I asked him the question, do you feel like that the energy that y'all are playing with is tiring your opponents down? He said what it simply comes down to is we're playing, we're one of the best defensive teams in the NBA, and he's absolutely right. This Grizzlies team is performing like a top five team in the NBA, if not a top three defense in the NBA since Justice Winslow has got back. So they're finally converting from being an opportunistic defense and a team that's able to win or stay competitive in a lot of games because they're they're turning their defense into offense by creating turnovers and getting out on the run. Now, if that for some reason is not there, they're backing it up with effective team defense and they're also becoming much more disciplined and much more effective in half-court situations. That's a big development for this Grizzlies team because without Jaron Jackson Jr. and with the hopes of pursuing the playoffs like this team certainly has in place, that's a big development for this Grizzlies team because if they can continue to play elite defense, that means that they're doing something that's among the best in the NBA and that's how they're going to be able to find the success that they need to have a chance at the playoffs. As I stated before the second half of the season started, with the Grizzlies being able, with the Grizzlies in the first half of the season still being in the bottom third of the league, both shooting the three and defending the three, they were going to have to improve in one of those areas to really have that needed shot, to really have that needed boost as far as their team goes to be able to stay in the playoff hunt to the level that they wanted to be. So far, with health on their side, finally, they're doing exactly that and being able to defend the three. That development is what should allow for the Grizzlies to have good confidence and being able to win the games that they should win, which they need to do as much of as much of as they possibly can to start out their second half of the season. Another opportunity, just like was there to start the second half on Wednesday night against Washington, is on the horizon tomorrow against Oklahoma City. Coming up, I'll discuss just why this game has a bit of extra significance when it comes to the standings for the Grizzlies and why the Grizzlies should have an opportunity to certainly earn the victory against the Oklahoma City Thunder. So after 18 games following their return to action after being off 12 days to end January due to COVID-19 and interruption in the season, the Grizzlies, as we had mentioned on a few occasions, they had 18 straight games in which the result of the game, the final score of the game, was not was nine or more points in difference. The Grizzlies lost or won eighteen straight games by nine or more points. Sixteen. The, the the end result of the game in sixteen of those eighteen games was in double digits. And so now it's kind of unique to see that after that stretch of games where there really wasn't any stress or there really wasn't any close games, the, a lot of those games were decided you know, with a lot of time left in the fourth quarter. The Grizzlies have now, uh, in two of their last three games, against very good opponents, had the chance to win the game at the end on a last-second shot. So you know, kind of been more exciting for the Grizzlies when it comes to their action as of late. Well, hopefully... We'll get more of a game that we saw on Wednesday night against Washington as the Grizzlies head to Oklahoma City to face the Thunder on Sunday. Now, a few things about this game to remember is that the game is actually going to be at 2 o'clock Eastern, 1 o'clock Central tomorrow. So a rare early afternoon game for the Grizzlies on Sunday. And it's also too important to remember that tonight, which is Saturday the 13th, uh, you actually need to remember to spring your clocks forward because it's spring forward. It's the uh, time change, you know, for 
all of us in the U.S., I think, except for Arizona. But regardless of all that, don't forget to spring your clocks forward so you don't miss the game. But yes, tomorrow, the Grizzlies head to Oklahoma City to face against off against the Thunder in a 1 o'clock matchup. Now, the thing about it, this is simple, is that this is going to be one of the more winnable games that the Grizzlies are going to have over this over this second half of the season, especially over this stretch of games coming up over the next 10 days to two weeks. And then what makes it a bit more easy to navigate for the Grizzlies is that the Thunder may be without several of their better players. One is due to possibly the start of trade season in the NBA in which Hamadou Diallo, who's been pretty impressive you know, as a wing player, a young wing player for the Thunder this season, he was traded to the Detroit Pistons in the deal yesterday. So obviously the Thunder will be without him, but also in Saturday's game against the New York Knicks where the Thunder lost 119-97, they were also without talented youngsters Darius Baisley and obviously the premier player of their franchise who has had an all-star level type season in Shea Gilgis-Alexander. It will certainly seem that if the Thunder are to be without Baisley and Gilgis-Alexander again, that makes it, you know, just to be honest, an even easier matchup for this Grizzlies team. But however, the thing about it is this, is that simply put, if the Grizzlies play to their strength, they play to their strengths and they play as they're supposed to, they should win this game. But we have also known that when the Grizzlies face off against these teams, when they face off against teams that they should beat and teams that are not that skilled at shooting the three-pointer but do shoot a lot of them, the Grizzlies have struggled at times this season. Earlier this year against the Cavaliers, earlier this year against the Rockets, though the Grizzlies have certainly improved over the past three weeks, they're going to be facing a Thunder team that shoots a lot of threes. In fact, you know, before today's game against the Knicks, the Thunder were fifth in the NBA when it came to three-point attempts per game and nearly 38 attempts per game. And the other big thing about it is this is that the Thunder are fifth in the league when it comes to attempting their own threes, but they're also fourth in the league when it comes to defending the three. So if the Thunder are shooting at a top five frequency in the league, but they're also top five in the league at limiting good looks to their opponents in the league, there are times if the Thunder are making their threes, they become much harder to beat. So the Grizzlies are going to have to really be focused, especially with players such as Lou Dort and others. The Grizzlies are going to have to really be focused on making sure they stay disciplined on the perimeter. They keep playing to the level that they have over the past you know, few weeks when it comes to defending the three. If they're able to do that, the Grizzlies should find some success once again getting into the paint and scoring. The Thunderer in the bottom third of the league when it comes to defending, you know, the, or, or excuse me, the Thunder themselves are towards the bottom third of the league when it comes to defending the paint, as well as being in the bottom third of the league when it comes to producing in the paint themselves. The Thunder team is disciplined. They're a top five team when it comes to um, least amount of fouls, and they also are third in the league when it comes to defensive rebounds. So this Thunder team is going to limit offensive looks to their opponents, and they're also, or second chance looks to their opponents, and they're also likely not going to beat themselves with a lot of fouls. But the Grizzlies, again, can find success in the paint, and the Grizzlies also should be able to find some success, at the very least, at limiting Oklahoma City from getting offensive rebounds. So besides defending the three, this could really be a game where the Grizzlies can get back on track 
allowing for their ability to create turnovers at the league best rate, plus being able to stop the three, those can get back consistent to allow for the Grizzlies to win. At the end of the day, there's not much depth to go into on this. You don't have to get too you know, analytical. You don't have to find certain weaknesses besides a bunch of strengths. The Grizzlies basically need to play back at the level that they can produce. Hopefully, this is the type of game where if the Grizzlies can get a significant lead to start out, that would allow for them to be able to rest some of their main players and get some other players' minutes. Perhaps getting a nice game to get Grayson Allen back into the rotation and get going again. Perhaps you see Gorgie Dang, John Concher, Killian Tilly, Jonte Porter, and others be able to play a few minutes to allow for the starters to get a little fresh before we take on Miami and Golden State into next week. That's the big key in these type of games for the Grizzlies. When it comes to these winnable games, especially early in the second half, any chance the Grizzlies have in which they play a game against a team that's just not as talented as Memphis, any chance they get to be able to win that game early and put the game out of reach early, that means more minutes of rest for their players, which is certainly going to be valuable as we go through a very treacherous stretch. But here's another key reason as to why this game is important. When you look at the Western Conference standings, the Grizzlies right now are in 10th place. They're in that final playoff positioning when it comes to the Western Conference. But the crazy thing is, is that, you know, as clear as it's been over the past basic month, that we know that the Thunder have basically, you know, for lack of a better word, just naturally tanking to get the best position they can as far as the NBA draft goes, they themselves are still right now in 11th place. If they are the closest team, out of the playoff picture right now to the Grizzlies, you know, final spot for the playing game. Right now, the Grizzlies are at 17 and 17, and the Thunder are at 16 and 21. The Thunder are two and a half games out of that final playing spot that the Grizzlies currently possess. So we talk about these games in which the Grizzlies are playing Western Conference opponents where they can where it's two-game swings, where if the Grizzlies win tomorrow, they now put about third, they now put at least three games between them and the next closest, you know, competitor for their playing spot. Or if they lose, it now goes down to one and a half games instead of two and a half games. So even though it seems like the Grizzlies should have a pretty easy time winning tomorrow, it's very important for them not to make it into a trap game because if they can beat the Thunder, that lengthens the distance between that gives the Grizzlies more wiggle room to work with as far as their desire to be in that play-in picture, at least if not the playoff picture moving forward. So the Grizzlies do have an opportunity to create more separation between the top 10, you know, between them being in the top 10 teams in the league who all will have a chance at the playoffs and the rest of the teams like New Orleans, Sacramento, and Oklahoma City who are still trying to vie for a playoff position even though it's starting to become more and more likely that they're not going to make it. So the Grizzlies do have some significance riding on tomorrow's game. If they can win, it'll be a nice step forward for them to continue to solidify themselves into a play-in spot. Grizzlies simply need to limit the looks that the um, Thunder have from three, producing the paint to open up high-percentage looks from beyond the arc on offense, and they should be able to find enough chances to win the game. It'll certainly be fun. It'll be nice to see an early afternoon game after many, you know, night games here recently for the Grizzlies, and hopefully it'll be another game. It, it will be a game that mimic many of the Grizzlies games in February will it, where it will be decided early, by, at least by early in the fourth quarter. Maybe we'll even get to see 
Pete Pranica say hammer nail coffin, um, you know, in the third quarter to beat his record that he set earlier this season by calling it at the start of the fourth. Thanks so much for joining us again. You can find the show at Locked On Grizz, myself at Stance SCC, the podcast, wherever podcasts are available, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen, that's where the podcast will be. Can't thank you enough for joining us again. Hope that you have a great weekend. We'll have plenty more to talk about when it comes to reviewing this Southern game on Monday, as well as looking forward to a very competitive week for the Grizzlies with the Miami Heat and a big back-to-back game, you know, back-to-back stretch of games against the Golden State Warriors next weekend. We'll have that and much more on Monday, and we'll talk to you then and hope that you have a great weekend. We'll talk to you again soon here on the Locked on Grizzlies podcast.